This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. From about 15 years on up, a great deal of my thoughts were basically unshareable. We are all evil in some form or another. Yes, I am not 100%, but I am evil. My mother was a, a sick, angry, hungry, and very sad woman. I hated her, but I wanted to love my mother. This is Serial Killing, a podcast. Hello again, and welcome to Serial Killing, a podcast. My name is Alyssa Carroll, and I am the host and the creator of at Serial underscore Killing on Instagram, where we go through the life stories of serial killers to see if we might catch a glimpse of why they displayed their famous, vile, and disturbing behaviors. Special thanks to some of my patrons, as always. Elena, Aaron, Katoris, Catherine, Sam, Linda, Janice, Hammer, Katarina, Alithia, I believe, Teresa, Sarah, Sophie, Nanette, my two Emmas, Emily, Gabrielle, Galen, Cassandra, Bree, David, John, and Judy. Thank you so, so much. You guys are truly appreciated. So this week's podcast will be on Patrick McKee. Patrick David McKee was born on September 25th, 1952 in Middlesex, London, England. So let's get into some history for that time. In 1952, we saw the population of London increase dramatically and in density. Now, most home heating at that time used a pretty low-grade sulfurous type of coal. This, in turn, increased the amount of sulfur dioxide in the smoke, adding into this the increased use of cars that led to a significant increase in pollutants in the air. So large clouds above the city or smog formed, which were heavy with pollutants. Visibility was reduced to a few yards, and most public transportation didn't operate. It is estimated that between 4,000 to 12,000 people lost their lives from respiratory tract infections in just four days. Also this year, Elizabeth II became the Queen of England and the United Kingdom after her father, King George VI, died. She was only 27 years old. Her coronation was the first ever to be broadcast on television. She is still the reigning queen to this day. In India, Mother Teresa opened the first home for the dying in an area made available by the city of Calcutta. She devoted the rest of her life helping the poor, including opening a home for people suffering with leprosy. Also this year, the United Kingdom tested its first atomic bomb, becoming the world's third nuclear power. 
The test took place at the Montebello Islands in Australia. Of course, not to be outdone, the United States tested the first hydrogen bomb at the Marshall Islands in the Pacific Ocean, and fun fact, Edmund Kemper's father was involved in atomic bomb testing during this time as well. But the island was completely destroyed in the blast. The next year, the Soviet Union would test their own version. Also this year, the English version of Anne Frank's The Diary of a Young Girl was published. And if you aren't familiar with her story, it's incredible and heart-wrenching. Also, the popular Mr. Potato Head toy was first sold in the United States in 1952. It was also the first toy to be advertised on television. Legendary filmmaker Charlie Chaplin was denied re-entry into the U.S. in September of this year. He and his family had been in London for the premiere of one of his movies. He was part of a group out of Hollywood who faced serious scrutiny from the House Un-American Activities Committee because of Chaplin's perceived leftist political beliefs. So this gives you an idea of the overall global atmosphere that Patrick was born into. His father was Harold McKee, a Scotsman, a World War II veteran, and an accountant. His mother was Marion, who was said to be of Creole descent from Guyana, South America. Harold was a full-blown, violent alcoholic before Patrick was ever born, and sources stated Harold would get drunk and kick Marion in the stomach while she was in her earlier pregnancy. Harold and Marion would go on to have a couple of daughters after Patrick. So the heavy drinking, physical and emotional abuse continued long after the children were born, and it was described as quite intense. In fact, Patrick suffered a great deal at the hands of his father. And so, from an alarmingly young age, his way of coping with the abuse was to turn it outward to things around him. He was torturing and killing small animals before the age of 10, mostly cats and rabbits that the family had as pets. It was said that he even went as far as to roast his pet tortoise alive. From the time the young boy started school, he had intense temper tantrums, went wild with rage, and very quickly established himself as a hardcore bully. His favorite was children much smaller than him, but that's to be expected. And then, when Patrick was just 10 years old, his father, Harold, allegedly died from complications from his severe alcoholism, a heart attack actually on his way to work. It was said his last words to his son before leaving for work were, quote, remember to be good, end quote. Now, one would think that there would have been at least some comfort in the passing of his father, along with the turmoil and abuse that the family suffered at his hands, but no. Patrick refused to attend his father's funeral in Scotland with the rest of the family. He actually became a somewhat natural thief, and his favorite targets were elderly women or even just people on the street. His classmates said that he was well known for being a liar and a troublemaker. 
He was seen by a neighbor pinning birds down in the road, then stepping back and watching them get run over by cars. He derived pleasure from witnessing their deaths, and he didn't stop at just animals. He seemed to be consumed with the idea of death, as his father had once proudly told him stories of the death and destruction he himself had seen during his war. And actually, Patrick seemed to not be able to handle the idea that his father was gone, and he began telling people that Harold was, in fact, still alive, and he kept a photo of his father with him at all times. And even at this preteen age, he basically took over the role of the man of the house, and that also meant beating his mother and his sisters. So Marion moved the family to Guyana, albeit briefly, where her family was hoping to have a fresh start, but that did absolutely nothing to improve Patrick's behavior, and she uprooted herself and the children back to London, where they moved in with one of her late husband's sisters. And then Marion had to be hospitalized herself for four months, suffering what sources called a nervous breakdown. She was forced to call the police on her son several times due to his aggressive and violent behaviors. In his early teens, Patrick was institutionalized for the first time. You see, Patrick loved setting things on fire, and it was then that he set a Catholic church on fire or attempted to burn it down. So once out of the institution, he was placed in schools for children who have behavioral issues and or special needs. Sources say that the probation officer he was assigned once said that Patrick was under serious risk of becoming dangerously violent if he was not removed from his home. And then predictably, he attempted to strangle his aunt and his own mother and then take his own life. He told officers that he lived with his father and hallucinated seeing snakes. He was evaluated for mental illness yet again, but was then released. Not long after, he got into a squabble with another boy and later said he most certainly would have taken his life had he not been restrained. After this, in 1968 and at nearly 16 years old, he was institutionalized yet again, but was finally diagnosed by Dr. Leonard Carr as a quote, psychopath. Dr. Carr predicted that Patrick would grow up to be a, quote, cold psychopathic killer, end quote. He was then committed to Moss Side Hospital in Liverpool for four years. Now, while there, Patrick went through a number of tests so that they could come up with a therapy strategy to try to help the teen. Now, keep in mind that this was the late 60s and very early 70s, but they did attempt to scan his brainwaves, and the results were that he was within normal levels comparatively to others with diagnosed antisocial disorders. Now, what is interesting to me, and we'll get into it in a bit, is that one of the doctors even back then, suggested that Patrick most likely inherited his violent tendencies from his father. 
They took the information from him previously being institutionalized and saw that he did have a disturbing pattern of aggressive and violent behavior and that they recommended he be impatient for a long time under strict observation and therapy. And so guys, that was his childhood. It paints a pretty clear picture to me, but let's unpack. So clearly his father was a troubled man. Nobody's arguing that. He had served during World War II and really we are all aware of just how gruesome and traumatizing war is for all involved. Many veterans who have a harder time trying to process exactly what they witnessed or had been through turn to rather unhealthy coping mechanisms and often that means alcohol. And we know that Harold was mentally and physically abusive to his wife during her pregnancy. It's obvious that this would be absolutely horrible for the mother as stress brings a whole new level of danger to both mother and child. But how does that stress really affect the fetus? Right, so according to WebMD, when the mother is stressed, her body goes into fight or flight mode, which then sends out a burst of cortisol and other stress hormones that enable your body to be physically prepared for battle, so to speak. So when the mother's body is chronically flooded with stress hormones, it begins to overwhelm the body's stress management system, causing it to overreact and trigger inflammatory responses. This inflammation has been linked to decreased pregnancy health and developmental issues in the babies in the future. Chronic stress may contribute to subtle differences in brain development, which can then lead to behavioral issues as the baby grows. A new study out of Children's National Hospital, published in early 2020 in the journal JAMA Pediatrics, reported that, quote, Mothers who suffer severe mental stress during pregnancy may have babies with abnormal development in important areas of the brain even before birth, end quote. This study urges medical providers to not just monitor the mother and fetus's physical health, but to also monitor the mother's mental health or distress as well, that it should become a part of the routine care. Scientists found that maternal stress affects the intrauterine environment of the fetus and, as a result of that, their brain showed impaired development in certain parts involved in normal learning, coordination, social development, and behavioral learning. So this is no joke. Then we also have the aspect of the genetics of violent behavior. Scientists have long been looking for genetic markers, predictors, and causes of violent human behavior. According to the Jackson Laboratory, quote, advances in neurochemistry and imaging technology have shown that many emotional and control disorders such as violence, suicide, depression, and anxiety involve disruptions in the brain's normal activity due to altered gene expression, chemical imbalances, and environmental factors, end quote. 
Studies have shown that up to 50% of the total variance in aggressive behavior is explained by genetic influences. So it is highly probable that Patrick inherited a genetic propensity for violence. And then we have his childhood environment, right? He was physically and emotionally abused by his father, and he watched as his mother also endured this treatment. He watched as his father repeatedly asserted his dominance to establish power and control over his family. The American Family Physician Journal stated, quote, Witnessing domestic violence can lead children to develop an array of age-dependent negative effects. Research in this area have focused on the cognitive, behavioral, and emotional effects of domestic violence. Children who witness violence in the home and children who are abused may display many similar psychological effects. These children are at greater risk for internalized behaviors such as anxiety and depression and for externalized behaviors such as fighting, bullying, lying, or cheating. They also are more disobedient at home and at school and are more likely to have social competence problems such as poor school performance and difficulty in relationships with others. Child witnesses display inappropriate attitudes about violence as a means of resolving conflict and indicate a greater willingness to use violence themselves. So guys, to bring it home, Patrick was most likely exposed to an overload of stress hormones in utero, coupled with a high probability of him inheriting violence genes from his father and then had the added benefit of not only witnessing violent behavior at home, but was a victim himself. So at least to me, it doesn't come as a huge shock that he emulated these behaviors to things in his external environment, torturing and killing animals, bullying and fighting with other kids, horrible behavior and performance at school. Now, it does impress me that his mother and the medical community did attempt to intervene on several occasions to try to help him in his youth. We don't normally see these people institutionalized when they were children. I mean, some, but not most. But to me, the seed was planted, roots already established for him to become a very dangerous individual indeed. One documentary stated that they believed him to have had intermittent explosive disorder, which is usually described as, quote, flying into a rage for no reason, end quote. Intense, explosive outbursts that far exceed the situation. He was also diagnosed as a psychopath in his youth, which isn't typically done these days before the age of 18. Normally that goes to oppositional defiance disorder, some other conduct disorder, but let's continue. In 1972, at the age of 20, he was released as an adult to be independent. He managed to get a small apartment and then nearly immediately he took up an active interest in Nazism. He allegedly collected photos, books, other writings, and even fashioned himself an SS officer uniform, detailed with fake medals and an armband. 
He became so obsessed with it that he began calling himself Franklin Bolvold I. He also followed and misinterpreted the philosopher Nietzsche. He began drinking heavily and indulging heavily in drugs. He stated he was possessed by demons. It was said that he entertained himself by building and burning the eyes out of a Frankenstein model of all things. Now he of course had to try to keep a job and he did have a few but was not able to keep them. So he would break into homes to steal money or food. He learned that one of his sisters had to be admitted to an institution because she suffered a quote mental breakdown which she reportedly blamed on him. And I mean really it probably was his fault. It took all of one year for him to begin to kill. It all started in July 1973 with him allegedly throwing a local nanny off of a moving train. Later that same month, he beat a woman to death in her own apartment. Patrick then met and befriended a 63-year-old Catholic priest by the name of Father Anthony Crean. They began to regularly meet up at the pub and have drinks together. And though the priest was kind and tried to help the young man, Patrick broke into this priest's cottage and he stole a check for all of $15 at the time and cashed it. Father Crean reported him to the police and Patrick was arrested. He was later released with a $50 fine convicted of theft. In January 1974, Patrick went on to murder a woman and her four-year-old grandson by stabbing them to death. Only a few short days later, he threw an elderly homeless man over a bridge to his death. Sometime after this, he attempted suicide and the police intervened. In February, he broke into an elderly woman's home, strangled her to death, and stabbed her with a kitchen knife into her abdomen after she was gone. Then he made himself something to eat, sat in her living room, and chilled to the radio for a while. Patrick later wrote about this experience, saying, quote, She was not a bad soul, and why I killed her, I feel I may never know. I suppose that even though I had killed her, I wanted in death to make her comfortable as she lay on her kitchen floor. I closed her eyes as they were staring lifeless up, covered her as if in a sleeping bag, and left her there. These murders were so solemn when I think of them, yet so quick, so fast to take place. End quote. He eventually left that day, and her remains were not found for nearly two weeks. Now, guys, keep in mind that these murders were kind of so random that the crime scenes so completely different that they were not really connected at all at first. Of course, Patrick was on the police's radar, and they were well aware of his violent tendencies. While staying with another friend, he announced that he was, in fact, possessed by demons. His obsession with his Nazi memorabilia and other bizarre behaviors got him promptly kicked out of that place. He broke into another home, but was arrested for that and spent six months in jail. 
After he was released again, he went right back into stealing, purse snatching, mugging elderly, and so on. He also beat a 62-year-old man to death with a piece of lead pipe. He also later admitted to drowning a homeless person in the River Thames. So in March, the now 22-year-old Patrick murdered an elderly woman by strangling her in her own apartment. He later said that this murder gave him a, quote, peculiar feeling, and then he took a nap on her couch. Eleven days after that, and after apparently being teased that he had engaged in a homosexual relationship with the priest that he had been friends with, Patrick decided to pay the priest a visit, bringing with him two knives. When he came face to face with Father Crean, the priest tried to leave, but Patrick stopped him. A struggle ensued, and Patrick began beating the priest severely. The priest broke free. He fled to another room, which was the bathroom, and tried to shut the door in time, but it was of no use. Patrick shoved his way in, knocking the priest backward into the bathtub, where Patrick continued to hit the priest, then began stabbing him in the neck. He also tried to stab the man through the top of his skull, but the knife wouldn't go through. So here's where my disclaimer comes in, okay? Sit down. Patrick grabbed an axe and began mutilating the priest's head. This vicious attack cracked the skull open enough that Patrick could visibly see the brain and brain matter from the mutilation. He stood there and watched as, allegedly, the priest reached up, touched his own brain, and then bled out and died, which took over an hour. During this, Patrick stopped the drain and let the tub fill with water. Patrick, during his later confession, said, quote, I lunged at his throat lots of times, sticking and sticking and sticking it. He was making noises, like gurgling from his throat. Then I hit him in the temple with it. It went in right up to the hilt. Then I tried to stab him in the top of his head. I banged away, but it just buckled the knife up, really bent it. When I got him in the side of the head, he put his hand up and he slid down along the bath, making a long, long, long noise. I suppose it was the noise you make. The human body is a funny thing, the anatomy." End quote. After this, Patrick went to his mother's house to have dinner with the family. At the same time, a nun discovered Father Crean and contacted the authorities. It was pretty obvious as to who had killed him, and Patrick was arrested a few days later after being located at a friend's house. He was eventually charged with five murders, but two were dropped due to lack of evidence, and in November of 1975, he was convicted and sentenced to life imprisonment, where he still resides today. Before his sentencing, he stated, quote, My life was wasted. I now realize that it is now wasted forever to rot. Something terrible had to come along in order to reveal the decaying disaster that my life has been since 1962. 
You know, when I look at myself now, I could put a bullet through my head and through my brain for the kind of bloody life that I have had. But I do not know who would do me that service. I have often thought to myself, whenever I am alone, that it would be the best thing I could have ever done. End quote. So experts today state that it is highly unlikely that he has gained any insight with regards to his crimes while in prison. I mean, do you feel at the time of the offense you were a psychopath or behaving psychopathically? From the point of view of somebody who is supposedly using that label to enjoy taking human life, there was never, ever any suggestion in my mind that I was ever a psychopath before I used to use that criteria. I could have perhaps understood some people being rather uncertain as to whether or not I was. But I certainly have never considered myself psychopathic if one takes the criteria that one gets a special enjoyment out of killing. No such enjoyment have I ever had. I've never found any pleasure out of any such thing. Patrick apparently wrote a short memoir while in prison, and author John Lucas stated, quote, there was no hint of remorse or regret for what he had done to his victims, only frustration at how it had affected him. Lack of empathy is a core trait of psychopathy, and it is highly unlikely McKee has gained further insight over the years, even though he claims not to be a psychopath and to have never derived pleasure from the killing. This is a clear lie because he was assessed in the days after his arrest and told a home office psychologist that any man doing a killing enjoys it at the time it's animal, end quote. So we know that he was diagnosed as a psychopath, though we know that's not an official diagnosis. What he would be diagnosed with is having antisocial personality disorder, which describes an individual who shows patterns of manipulation and violation of others. Other common signs are socially irresponsible behavior, inability to distinguish right from wrong, difficulty in showing remorse or empathy, tendency to lie often, manipulative and hurting others, recurring problems with the law, and a general disregard towards safety and responsibility. Many displaying these behaviors might also lack deep emotional connections, are glib or have superficial charm, and can be angry and very aggressive. But it is important that I say that most people with this diagnosis do not go on to hurt or kill people. They usually are not violent. And lastly, I want to take a moment to address what I know will be coming in the comments. Yes, this is a case where the system, quote unquote, as it were, was very acutely aware of Patrick and his violent criminal behavior from childhood. Yes, he was institutionalized many times during his young life before he was put in prison. And yes, most of me agrees that he should have been locked away permanently long before he ever killed anyone. But it is important to remember that, in a perfect world, laws follow rules, and those rules have set time frames and limits. Unless under extreme circumstances, they can only keep a person locked up for whatever time period is set forth by the law. 
I try to remember that before I let myself get upset about it. And at least I hope that that makes sense. So tell me guys, what do you think? Leave me a comment below if you're watching or you can always DM me on Instagram at serial underscore killing. I get some awfully lovely and sweet emails at SerialKillingInstagram at gmail.com. Consider becoming a patron if you'd like. I am going to be expanding and creating a second channel slash what have you with more audio stuff. And I'll let you guys know the details of that as soon as I get it done. So there's going to be more of me. Hope that's okay. But as always... Thank you so, so much for listening because I know you could be listening to anyone else, but you chose me and I appreciate that very much. Thank you and have a good day.